Well, as you can see, uh, today's passage is seemingly all about a bloke called Melchizedek, uh, and also is about the Levitical priesthood. Now, as passages go, I accept this is not one that easily speaks to most of us here, does it? Um, priests, on the whole, are not a thing for us. Uh, the Levitical priesthood is broadly, I think, meaningless to most of us. Uh, and Melchizedek is a random bloke mentioned once in Genesis and once in a line in a psalm, and that's it. Uh, so he doesn't seem all that central to us. He doesn't seem that important. Uh, so it's fair if you're sitting there wondering why you should bother listening to this today. Couldn't we have just skipped this chapter? Uh, well, basically, the whole point of this passage is to talk about Jesus' better priesthood. That's the idea. Jesus, better priesthood. Now, if you know anything about priests, anything at all, they stand between God and man. That is their job. Uh, and this passage is really about how Jesus does that effectively and why that matters for us this morning. And so last time in Hebrews, we saw how God's promises were all sure and certain. Uh, and we saw how God's word was bound by his character we saw he is unable to lie, and so his word can be believed because of who he is. Uh, but also we saw God swore an oath, even though he didn't really need to do that, to underline the truthfulness of his promises. Uh, and we saw how Jesus was the one in whom all God's promises are fulfilled. He is a better priest because he gained us direct and constant access to God. And our passage today continues with that same theme. Uh, it focuses on how Jesus' priesthood is better than the old covenant priests. And the passage here falls into two parts, really. Uh, verses 1 to 10 talk about uh, Melchizedek being greater than Abraham. Uh, and so Melchizedek is greater than Levi. And therefore he's greater than all the Levite priests that came from Levi. And that implies that Jesus is also greater than Abraham and Levi. So that's the first 10 verses. And then from verse 11 to verse 28, the writer shows why the Levite priesthood needed to change, what, it's, what the problems with it were, and why Jesus is better than it. Uh, so that's kind of the two halves to, to the passage. Uh, but more specifically, it wants to tell us five things, five reasons why Jesus' priesthood is better. Uh, so in verses 1 to 10, he says Jesus' priesthood is simply better. Uh, then secondly, he says it's effective. Thirdly, it's more firmly established. Fourthly, it is both personal and permanent. And fifthly, it is ultimately the one that we need. And so five reasons why Jesus' priesthood is better this morning. Firstly then, Jesus' priesthood is simply better. So uh, look with me, at verses 1 to 10 are really the hardest part of this passage to understand. They're certainly the weirdest part for us. Uh, verses 1 to 10 seem to be about Melchizedek and Abraham, fundamentally. Uh, but the writer is actually making a wider point about Jesus and the Levite priests. So let me just show you how we get from Melchizedek to Jesus and, and the Levite priests. Um, and I can see that connection is not obvious because only verse 3 alludes to Jesus and none of it mentions the Levite priests at all. So I can see why that connection might not seem obvious. 
Um, so how is it about either of them? Let me explain it, because what he says in these 10 verses is really important for what he says in the second half of this chapter. Uh, so the key thing we need to understand is there are two great priests, if you like, in the Old Testament. Uh, one of them is Melchizedek, who we read about here, and the other is Aaron, who was the first Levite priest. Uh, now, the immediate point in verses 1 to 10 is that Melchizedek is greater than Aaron. Okay, that's, that's the main point here. Melchizedek is greater than Aaron. That's the immediate point. The wider point is that as a priest in the order of Melchizedek, Jesus must be greater than all the Levitical priests. Okay, so the immediate point, Melchizedek's greater than Aaron. The wider point, Jesus is greater than all the Levite priests. Now, you can read about Abraham meeting Melchizedek in Genesis 14. Uh, they meet when Abraham is returning home from a successful battle. And we're reminded in verse 1 of our passage, Melchizedek was king of Salem. Now, Salem was later Jerusalem, uh, and he was also a priest of God. So he was both a king and a priest at the same time, which is unusual. And in the meeting in Genesis 14, Melchizedek gave Abraham's men bread and wine. He blessed Abraham in God's name, and he reminded Abraham that he owed his victory in battle to God. And then in response to that, Abraham gave Melchizedek one-tenth of everything his men had won in that battle. Now, if you look at verses 2 and 3, they point out how Melchizedek is like Jesus. So Melchizedek was a priest and a king at the same time, just like Jesus. Uh, Melchizedek was a king of righteousness and also king of peace. The word Salem means peace. Uh, and just like Jesus was king of righteousness and king of peace, Melchizedek was also a king and a priest forever, just like Jesus. So it's pointing out how he's similar to Jesus. So the point in these first three verses is that Melchizedek is a type of Christ. So he points forward to Jesus and is a picture of Christ. Then if you look in verse four, the writer says Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. So Abraham recognised Melchizedek was greater than him by giving him a tithe. That's what's going on there. Now, if Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, the logic goes, then Jesus must also be greater than Abraham as well. That's, that's the logic here. Uh, let, me, let me just explain how the logic's working. Melchizedek is a type of Christ. He's pointing forward to Jesus. So Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. Okay, Types are always not as good and important as the, the archetype. So Melchizedek's a type of Christ, so Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. Now, if Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, then Jesus, who is greater than Melchizedek, must also be greater than Abraham as well. Are you with me? I'm sorry this is complicated and it's a bit confusing, but hopefully you're with me. Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. Melchizedek's greater than Abraham. Therefore, Jesus is greater than Abraham. Right? Okay. So, step one then. <laughs> Jesus is greater than Abraham. Now, the other bit of cultural knowledge we need here is that in Jewish culture, forefathers are always greater than their descendants. 
Okay, so if you're a dad, you're greater than your son. If you're a granddad, you're greater than your grandson. That's how it works. So Abraham is greater than his descendants. Okay, simple. Now, if Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, he must also then be greater than Abraham's descendants, right? So Melchizedek is a priest, and therefore as a priest who is greater than Abraham, he must be greater than the priest's who descended from Abraham. Are you still with me? I'm going to keep checking because it's complicated and confusing. So Melchizedek is a priest who is therefore greater than the Levite priests who descended from Abraham. If you look at verse 10, we see Levi wasn't even born at the point Abraham met him. So you might wonder what on earth he has to do with any of this. Well, What it says is he was still in Abraham's loins or still in his ancestor. So what he's saying is Abraham's greater than Levi because he's his forefather. But in a sense, Levi gave that tithe that Abraham gave because he was sort of still in his ancestor when Abraham gave the tithe. And so if Abraham giving a tithe to Melchizedek shows that he thinks Melchizedek's greater than him, Well, then, if Levi is still in Abraham's loins at that point and effectively gave the tithe too, then he's showing that Melchizedek is greater than Levi. And if Jesus is greater than Melchizedek, then Jesus must be greater than Abraham and Levi and Melchizedek and the whole lot of them. That's that's the point. Are Are you still with me? Right. So Jesus is better than all of them is the point here. And now the implication then, the reason why he's been banging on about this is the Hebrew believers are tempted to go back to the Levitical priesthood. They are tempted to go back to Judaism. And the implication here is why return to the Levitical priesthood when something greater than Melchizedek, greater than Abraham, greater than Levi, greater than all the priests is already here. Are you with me? Okay, that's the first 10 verses there, okay? Now, you might be looking at that and thinking, well, that has absolutely nothing to do with me here this morning. I do not want a Levitical priesthood. I'm not even sure I know what a Levitical priesthood is. I certainly don't care about having one. Um, But these Hebrew Christians were being persecuted and they were facing hardships that would end if they went back to Judaism. That's the issue here. So if you're a Muslim, or rather you're a Christian from a Muslim background, uh, you know that some Muslim people might make life hard for you as a Christian. And that's why some of you are here, isn't it? Because in your home country, life was made very hard for you for following Jesus. Now, when that happens, it can be really tempting to you, can't it, to say, do you know what, if I just go back to following Muhammad... If I just go back to Islam, all of that difficulty will stop. I can go back to my country. I can go back and be fine. It would make my life so much easier if I just became a Muslim again. Well, you need reminding this morning, if you trust in Jesus, that Jesus is better than that. Something better than Muhammad is here. Jesus is coming again, isn't he? Well, Muhammad isn't. Jesus died for your sin and offers you forgiveness. Well, Muhammad 
didn't die for your sin and can't offer you forgiveness, can he? Uh, Jesus guarantees your salvation if you trust in him, doesn't he? But Muhammad wasn't even sure of his own salvation. You know, you need reminding. Why go back to that? Just because you think it might make your life easier when something better is here. Uh, but you know, those of us from other backgrounds, uh, we might not be tempted to Islam, <coughs> but we can be tempted away from Jesus by all sorts of things that seem easier than following him and pressing on and walking with his people, can't we? Now, wouldn't life just be easier for all of us if I didn't have to come to church full of people who are nothing like me, who all have their views on stuff that I don't agree with, who want me to do stuff I don't want to do, who want to do stuff I wish they wouldn't do. You know, church is a pain in the neck, isn't it? Um, and wouldn't life be so much easier if I just gave it up and I just didn't bother? You know, who wants to spend their life challenging people's sin? I mean, it's rubbish, isn't it? Who wants to do that? Can't I just not be a Christian and not be accountable for anybody else? That would make my life easier. Can't I just leave people to do what they want to do and they can leave me to get on to do whatever I want to do and life would be easier? And it's not just in church either, outside of church. Isn't it easier just to go along with the culture? No more standing up against the crowd. Can't be faffed with that. Can't I just accept things that our culture says is fine? Can't I just say abortion's fine, assisted dying is fine, gay marriage is fine, who you want to live with and have sex with is your business, watch porn if you want, get drunk if you want, take drugs if you want, just, just do what you want and let me do what I want and we can do our own thing and we can forget the rest. Wouldn't life be so much simpler? Yeah, I think sometimes following Jesus can feel like we are constantly on the wrong side of a crowd, can't it? Constantly in battles, constantly having to stand up for things that we don't really want to be standing up for at all. Constantly feeling, frankly, weird and a bit different to everybody else. And life would be so much easier if we could just fit in and get on. And no more weirdness, no more arguments I haven't even chosen to have. No pressure. I can have a nice, quiet life. And we need this reminder. Whatever seems good to us like that, whatever seems easier to us like that, whatever seems pragmatic for an easier life, we need to see that Jesus is better. Jesus is worth those things. Our culture will not resolve our sin, will it? Our culture will not get us into heaven. An easy life will not make us right with God, will it? You know, our culture might not even be our friend, no matter how hard we try to fit in with it. But Jesus is our friend, isn't he? 
Jesus forgives our sin. Jesus saves us. Jesus grants us eternal life. Jesus is superior to what might seem like an easy life. Jesus is better and following him is worth it. And we need this reminder. We might not be tempted by a Levitical priesthood, but we are tempted by so many things. And we need to remember Jesus is better. Uh, But then we move on. So from verse 11 onwards, we are given reasons why Jesus is better than this Levitical priesthood. Uh, Firstly, that he's better because he's effective in verses 11 to 19. (coughs) Because it's one thing to say Jesus is better uh, than what might tempt you away. But the writer moves on to say why he is better. What actually is better about Jesus? Uh, If you look in verse 11, there's a question. If the Levitical priesthood was already perfect... Why did God promise a new priest like Melchizedek and not just another priest like Aaron, like another Levite? The answer to that question comes in verse 19. The Levitical priesthood couldn't perfect anything, but Jesus can and does perfect us. Uh, Psalm 110 verse 4 predicted that when the Messiah comes, he will not be a Levite priest. It says, you are a priest forever, according to the pattern of Melchizedek. That's talking about the Messiah who's going to come from the line of Judah. And people in the line of Judah did not become priests. Then in verses 13 to 14, uh, that's where we're told the Messiah was going to come from Judah and not Levi. Uh, But if you look in verses 15 to 17, uh, we see the Messiah is also not a priest based on birth. So his priesthood has nothing to do with the line he was born in. He's like Melchizedek, who became a priest, not because the law says that boys born Levites will become priests. He became a priest based on his eternal life. And that's the point in verse 11. If the Levite priests could resolve the sin of the people, there wouldn't be any need for a new kind of priest. If the Levites could resolve sin, there would be no need for a new type of priest. But God, in the Psalms, promised a new kind of priest, proving that the Levitical priesthood was always temporary and wasn't able to resolve the problem of sin. And so if you look in verses 18 to 19, if the Levitical priesthood is going to be annulled, as Psalm 110 says, then all the rites and ceremonies and rituals of the priesthood will be annulled along with it for the whole of the old covenant law revolved around the levitical priesthood that was central to it and an end to the levitical priesthood meant an end of old covenant law altogether and the point of the old covenant law and its priests was to point forward to the new covenant with its better more effective priesthood And that's what verse 18 means by the Levitical priesthood being weak and unprofitable or the law being weak and unprofitable. You know what the old covenant and its priesthood pointed to is now here. Jesus is the effective priest who brings us near to God in a way that the old covenant priesthood never could. So there's no need for a picture anymore because it's being fulfilled in Christ. Jesus annuls the command and brings in a new and effective means of drawing near to God. 
And so the writer is saying, don't go back to what is ineffective. If you want to draw near to God, the Levitical priests can't do it. But Jesus can. Draw near to God through Jesus, because only he can deal with sin, and only he can make us right with God. And the point, even if we're not into Levitical priests, is the same for us here as well. If we want access to God, Jesus Christ is the only way to access him. Jesus is the only way to deal with sin and the only way to come into God's presence. You know, know, uh, when we pray in this church, we often finish our prayers, don't we, by saying, in Jesus' name. Now, that's not just words that we use at the end of a prayer. Uh, What we're saying is, we can only be heard by God because of Jesus. If we're not Christians this morning, if our faith is not in Jesus, then we have no right for God to hear our prayers. If we've not had our sin dealt with by Jesus, if we don't have his perfect righteousness, then we have no access to God. God does not hear the prayers of unbelievers. And that's because the only access to God we have is in and through the Lord Jesus. And that doesn't mean if you add in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer, a rubbish prayer suddenly becomes good. (laughs) That's not what that means. It's not like magic that gets us to God. The issue is our sin has put a barrier between us and God. That's the problem. And that is why we cannot approach it, because we are sinful, because God is holy and we are not. So unless our sin is dealt with, we cannot access God. And if Jesus is the only way for our sin to be dealt with, then outside of Jesus, we cannot approach God. It's that simple, because our sin remains a barrier. You know, that means there is no relationship with God outside of Jesus. There is no forgiveness of sin outside of Jesus. There is no access to God outside of Jesus. There is no prayer heard by God outside of Jesus. There is no guarantee of blessing outside of Jesus. So if you want a relationship with God, if you want to be heard by him, We can only do that once our sin has been dealt with in and through Jesus. Our access to God is through Jesus as our saviour and high priest. There is no other means of access to God. Jesus is more effective. Thirdly, we see Jesus' priesthood is more firmly established. So look with me at verse 16. We see how the Levite priests got their role. Uh, Verse 16 talks about legal regulation based on physical descent. So according to the law, if you were a male in the tribe of Levi, and if you were in Aaron's family line, then when you hit the age of 30, you automatically became a priest. That was it. There was nothing more to it than that. So if you were in the right tribe and in the right family at the age of 30, you automatically become a priest. There was no oath to take, nothing to do, no ceremony. You were just, that's it, you're in. But that isn't how Jesus became a priest. Uh, Jesus' office was established, we're told, by an oath. And not just any old oath, but an oath from God himself. So God said to his son, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So in verse 22... 
Jesus became the guarantee of a better covenant. <coughs> His priesthood is more firmly established than the old covenant priesthood. The Levitical priests were automatically priests by law and by birth. But Jesus is made high priest directly by an oath from God. So if Jesus' priesthood is more firmly established, that is what makes his covenant more sure and certain than the old covenant. And what that means is we can have confidence in Jesus' priesthood. God himself has approved Jesus as his great high priest. He wasn't just automatically made one. God has specifically approved him. Jesus' priesthood has God's seal of approval on it. And not just his approval, but his guarantee that through Jesus he will bring these things to pass. You know, we know from last week, don't we, God cannot lie. We know from last week that God swore an oath to establish the certainty of his promises. And so to establish an oath with Jesus, making him a priest, makes his promises totally sure and certain. He's guaranteed his promises in Christ in a way he never guaranteed the Levitical priesthood. And what that means is the promises of God in Christ are absolutely certain. God himself has bound himself to Jesus' work by an oath. God cannot break his promise. God will fulfil his purposes and his plan of salvation in Jesus. If we trust in Christ, our salvation is totally secure because it is rooted and based on God's promise that he has sworn by an oath in Christ. It is more firmly established. Fourthly, though, Jesus' priesthood is personal and permanent. So the point in verses 23 to 25 is pretty straightforward. Uh, Levitical priests automatically became priests at the age of 30. Uh, but those same priests, fairly obviously, died, didn't they? They died later on. Uh, and that is why they were continually replaced by their children. Uh, but Jesus' priesthood is not temporary like the Levite priests. Jesus' priesthood, like Melchizedek, goes on forever. Jesus' priesthood is permanent. But because his priesthood is permanent, it is also personal. So the Levite priests died and were replaced all the time by new priests. So you didn't have much personal involvement with any particular priest in the temple. Uh, you might even see several high priests during your lifetime. One dies, they get a new high priest. He dies, get a new high priest. But because Jesus' priesthood is permanent, it is also personal. Verse 25 says, Jesus intercedes for us personally because he now lives for us permanently. Because he lives permanently and intercedes for us personally, he is always there to speak to God on our behalf in a way that the Levite priests were not. And that is good news for us for two reasons. Uh, first and perhaps obviously, it means Jesus can save us completely. Jesus can save us completely. There is nothing left for him or for us to do. 
in Christ, we can be totally sure of our salvation. You know, we don't have to worry that Jesus will not be there for us. He is permanently in post and has permanently dealt with our problem of sin. He can save us completely. But secondly, and linked to that, Jesus is permanently available for us. He's always there. And that is why we can be sure of our salvation. There is never a time we might sin if we trust in Jesus that he is not there advocating to the Father on our behalf. There's never a time if we sin when Jesus is not next to God the Father reminding him that we belong to him and he has covered our sin. There's never a time when that doesn't happen. We might worry that we've sinned and I forgot to ask for forgiveness for that particular sin. You might sin and not even realise you've sinned and not ask for forgiveness for that particular sin. But if we belong to Jesus, Jesus knows we've sinned. Jesus knew we were going to do it before we did it. And Jesus is there next to God the Father when we do it saying, I've covered it. There with me. We've already dealt with this, haven't we? He's permanently in place with the Father, advocating on our behalf so that he can save us completely. But it also means we can permanently access God. We will always be heard in Christ because he is permanently there advocating for us, interceding for us to the Father. It's why we can pray in any time and in any place and know that God will hear us. Because Jesus is always there speaking for us personally and permanently. So Jesus' priesthood is personal and permanent. But finally, uh, Jesus' priesthood is ultimately the one that we need. So as sinful human beings seeking access to God, we have particular needs. We need someone who is holy. We need someone who can approach God without fear of dying in his presence. We need someone who is sinless and also separated in some way from sinful people. We need someone who can actually access God who is in heaven. Now, it doesn't take a genius, does it, to see that the Levite priests do not meet that criteria. They weren't holy in themselves. They were sinful and they lived among sinful people. And they only had access to a picture of heaven, the temple, not the real place. But we see that Jesus is holy. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is able to access God in heaven. Jesus is currently at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the high priest that we ultimately need. So if you look in verse 27... We see the Levite priests offered sin sacrifices every day. And not just for the people, but also for their own sin. But Jesus has no sin of his own, and he has dealt with our sin once and for all. His priesthood is superior, and it is more suited to our needs. So the Levite priests were weak in the sense that they sinned, They were temporary and they were subject to death. 
They're all pointed forward to the perfect priesthood of Jesus that was permanent, that was sinless, and that was ideally suited to dealing with the needs of his people. And so the whole point of this passage this morning is to say that Jesus is the high priest that you and I need this morning. Now God is holy, isn't he? And I am not, so I cannot approach God by myself. But there is someone who can approach him on my behalf. Not a Levitical priest, because they're sinful and not holy either. But a priest who was like Melchizedek. Because of Jesus' perfect priesthood, it means there will never ever be a time where I am turned away by God. There is never a time when my sin is going to be held against me. There will never be a time when I cannot access God. We ultimately have hope because of Jesus' perfect priesthood. The priesthood might not mean very much to us, but it's really important because it's through Jesus' priesthood that we have access to God. We have certainty of salvation because of Jesus' priesthood. We have guaranteed access to God because of Jesus' priesthood. And so concepts like priesthood really might not mean very much to us this morning. We might not be desperate to go setting up a new order of priest or anything like that. But because Jesus is our perfect high priest, we have full assurance of salvation and full access to God. And the question this passage wants to ask us is, why would you want to turn away from that? Why would we be tempted by anything other than him, given what he offers us? You know, the passage wants to say, press on with the Lord Jesus. Press on with him. He is worth it. Even if you are facing suffering and persecution and trials, press on with him because nothing else can give you what Jesus can give you. Nothing else can forgive your sin. Nothing else can give you access to God. Nothing else will bring you into a relationship with him. And so press on with Jesus, your great and perfect high priest.